0: Hi, my name's Andrew, and tonight I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other.
1: All right, evening, friends. It's great to see you here this evening. Um, please make sure you've got your Bible open in front of you uh, on your phone if that's where you have your Bible. Uh, we are using Slido tonight, so if you have questions, you can whack them on Slido. On the uh, 645, hashtag 645 page uh, And tonight's sermon is brought to you by BuzzFeed uh, This is the secret to wholehearted living Unfortunately there's only four sort of points So I didn't say the nine steps to or something else But this is where we're headed tonight The secret to wholehearted Christian living uh, But first, have you read the book The Nightingale? Uh, I am I'm almost at the end Uh, It is a gripping piece of historical fiction set during World War II in a fictional French village uh, named Cariveau. And it details the story of two sisters who embark on a journey of love and survival and freedom in German-occupied, war-torn France. Uh, It's a heartbreaking but beautiful book, that takes you right into the psyche of people who find themselves in the midst of war. And it actually poses lots of questions. It's it's a very clever book. opens up significant questions like, can you actually love an enemy who deep down has as their goal in life to kill you? That's just one of the questions it asks. Another one, what is better in war to submit and survive or to fight and potentially lose everything. What's the better strategy? Now, I haven't finished the book yet, so if you read it, no spoilers. Uh, But the conundrum that Christian Hannah places in the minds of the French is that they either choose this easy road of submitting to the Nazis, uh, allowing them to, to win over all of their towns and villages, their lives, to accomplish their plans, or the hard road of continuing to fight for France and to fight daily against the Nazis. And just that perspective is a great illustration of the Christian life. Friends, verse 17 in our passage tonight tells us that we are in a battle. This is not a personal psychological struggle in your mind, nor is it a battle within your soul. The battle that we are engaged in as Christian people is a battle for your body and soul. And it is raging between the spirit and the flesh, the Holy Spirit and your inner nature. And the question that we're asked here in Galatians 5, I suspect is the same question that many of us have in our minds every single day. But will you take the easy road and submit to the desires of the flesh? Or will you take the hard road of walking and fighting daily in the power of the Spirit? And if you're a, Christ, a Christian, then Paul tells you what you should do in verse 16. Have a look at verse 16. He says there, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. More literally, he writes, By the Spirit you must walk. And then the desires of the flesh will have no likelihood of being fulfilled. Why? Because, friends, Christ died for you. You have been pardoned. You've been forgiven for your sin. Your sin has been eradicated by the power of Christ in your life so that you might not continue to walk in your sin, but that you might live the free Christ-filled life. And God has placed his spirit in you to direct you and enable you to walk with him. So here is the secret to wholehearted Christian living. Walk by the spirit. And that's the end of the sermon. Well, it could be the end of the sermon. But whether you've been a Christian for 30 minutes or 30 years... You will know that throwing off the axe of the flesh and walking in the power of the Spirit is easier said than done because the flesh desires victory over you and it does not and it will not give up. So friends, we need help. We need Jesus. We need each other. And we need to get real with ourselves, and I want to encourage you tonight to just stop pretending that everything is okay. Uh, We're in a battle, and for many of us, we sit every day on the cusp of defeat. We are just one keystroke, one breath, one step from gratifying the desires of the flesh. And it is right for you to ask, if it is for freedom that Christ has set me free, can I actually win? Can I actually be free and live for Christ? Is there a better way? And friends, I want to say yes, there is. A better way, the best way, and it's here in Galatians chapter 5, and it just outlines for us two things, two things that I want you to do from this day forward. And the first is acknowledge the battle actually acknowledge that you're in a battle acknowledge that the flesh desires victory over you and that it is not going to give up now just for clarity what paul means when he talks about the flesh is our sin desiring heart that inner natural propensity uh, that we all have To do anything and everything except follow God and live in his freedom. Uh, That easy and simple way we think and behave and live in anti-Jesus fashion day by day. And the language of verse 16 tells us uh, that this flesh inside us desires, it longs to be fulfilled. You see there in verse 16, it, it desires gratification, fulfillment, completion. But realistically, you didn't need the Bible to tell you that, did you? We know exactly what Paul is talking about here. Because we experience it every day. We know the destructive desires of the flesh. That long to be fulfilled. That long to consume us. That will not be satisfied. They are like telemarketers at dinner time who just keep calling and calling and calling. They are like kids in the Kinder Surprise aisle at the supermarket supermarket who just keep asking and asking and asking. The desires of the flesh, they want to consume you and they are relentless. Relentless. And we also know what verse seventeen says. Verse seventeen, for the desire for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, that they're in conflict with each other. And and we know this because we live it, but we also know this because we read about it in the Bible. So often as you're reading through the scriptures, I'm sure you come to these moments where you read of stories of heroes in the scriptures where they have their own internal battle going on uh, between the spirit and the flesh. The Bible doesn't contain a litany of goody-two-shoes stories. It actually, the more you read it, you just see it contains a litany of stories of people like you and me who try to live for God and fail like Cain. Cain, who, who had his brother Abel in his sides, he wanted to kill his brother and God came and spoke to him. And he said to him, sin is crouching at your door, Cain, and you must rule over it. It must not master you. What did Cain do? Hey, Abel, we're going to go kick a footy round out the back? Like right out the back. And that was his end. Samson. Samson's got a beautiful woman, Delilah, Delilah, in his ear. Hey, just tell me how to destroy you. Tell me, what's the key to your strength? No, I'm not telling you. I'm not allowed to tell anyone. Just tell me. I'm not allowed to tell anyone. Just tell me. I'm not allowed to tell anyone. Just tell. Okay, I'll tell you. Death gave him to the flesh. We could go to many of Paul's co-workers, Hymenaeus, Philetus, Phygelius, Hermogenes. To abandon Paul and abandon the gospel and seek after godless living in the desires of their own hearts we know this and we know the reality of what these people have faced and I suspect the Galatians knew it too Paul knew them intimately and that's why he says in verse 19 that the desires of the flesh verse 19 the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality Impurity, debauchery, and idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Now, if you look through that list and thought to yourself, oh, phew. I'm not on the list. I've got some bad news. There's a few words just at the end of this passage where Paul says, and the rest of the stuff. We know the things that aren't the way that God wants us to live. We know sin. We know it's bad. We know it's contrary to God's will for our lives. I wonder if our problem is. That we don't actually believe it. I suspect one of our biggest problems is that we don't actually acknowledge and truly believe and act on the belief that sin is bad and that we are in a continual and relentless battle. We don't name the thoughts and actions and behaviours for what they actually are and instead we relax and just pretend all is okay with a big smile on our face as if, as if everything's fine in my spiritual life. And so we make ourselves continually vulnerable to destruction. Or, or perhaps worse. I, I've had some chats with people throughout this last week. Perhaps you've had chats with people too where it just feels like the person that I'm talking to actually doesn't care. They don't care that there is a battle going on inside them. They don't care uh, that potentially they are damaging themselves and others permanently. Uh, Just this last week I heard of conversations where people are are dismissive of of gratifying the flesh. And they say, but you can't criticise me. Every Christian does this. As if somehow it's okay because we all do it. And it's normal. And it reminds me of a story that Don Carson tells. Don Carson's a Canadian theologian, mega-brain sort of guy, and he was studying German, learning German so he could do theology, and he met another guy who was married, and he realised over time that this married man used to head off to prostitutes once or twice a week. It's part of his study, probably a theological student, and Don's thinking, this is not right. And so he confronted the guy and he said to him, you're a married man. Studying German for theology? What, what's going on here? And the gentleman said to, me, said to Don Carson, he said, Aha! God is good. He will forgive me because that's his job. And it's true, friends, that God is good. But if you don't care about your sin, you're not listening to the goodness of God. And you're not remembering all the complementary truths. You're not remembering that the acts of the flesh will destroy you just like acetone destroys polystyrene over and over and over again. And we must believe the end of verse 21. At the end of verse 21, Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, There's that, that language there of people who live like this describes a person who's regularly doing something in order to sort of practice it to perfection. Uh, like the way that some people daily practice their musical instruments when they were young and still are playing a musical instrument today. You know, if you, if you engage in a sin every day, you're daily practicing that sin. And, and your warning here is directly for you it's a dangerous thing to continue to walk in the flesh. It's not dissimilar to the warning in Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 26, where the writer of the Hebrews says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. For those who continually indulge the sinful nature, essentially have rejected the redeeming power of Jesus, Essentially have said, I don't need Jesus. I never needed Jesus. I'm pursuing the flesh and in the end will be rejected by God. So friends, right in this moment, I want you to acknowledge with me that we are daily, hourly, moment by moment in a battle. And I want you to stop pretending that you've got it all sorted. The flesh is not inert or quiet or an enemy who's going to lay down and die. Your sinful nature is hoping to devalue. It is hungry and it's hoping to drag you all the way to hell. Now, last week I was asked an honest and gut-wrenching question and the person said this. He said, I, I realise that I actually love to sin. I desire to love Christ deeply and hate sin as God does, but my heart drifts and I feel like my love for Jesus is weak. Is there hope for me? And if you're honest, I suspect that at least sometimes that's your question too, right? At least some of the time. Is there hope? That things can be different. That that you can do, as chapter 5 verse 1 says, actually be free, for Christ has set you free. And friends, the answer is, yes, there is. Yes, there is hope of something different. The situation is not hopeless. But you've got to get into the fight. And you've got to stay in the fight. So here's the second thing tonight. Number one, you've got to acknowledge that you're in a battle. Stop pretending. Number two, get in the fight and stay in the fight. You've got to get up and walk in the right direction. And you need to recognise the end of verse 17. Look at the end of verse 17. Uh, Paul writes there, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. You can't just sort of wake up in the morning and go, All chill today, I'll just cruise off and do as I want to do. No, you actually need to get into the fight. And there are two things then in the second half of the passage that Paul calls us to do that are getting into the fight. Number one, it's actively living in the power of the Spirit. And number two, actively crucifying the flesh. So here is the pathway to actually getting into the fight and the pathway to freedom. First of all, actively living in the power of the Spirit. And I use that language deliberately because there are three expressions here in verse 16, 18 and 25 that I'm trying to sort to capture together where Paul says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, be led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, since we have life by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now for those people who are Christians, God has placed his Spirit in... In us to transform us from the inside out. The Spirit unites us with Christ. The Spirit convicts us of sin and drives us towards Jesus. By the Spirit, our inner natures are renewed and he leads us where Jesus wants us to go and he enables fruit to be born in our lives so that we might be more and more like Jesus. But how do you find his leading? Where do you go to discern The Spirit's leading and guidance for your life. Well, you don't go searching for an inner voice and you don't go searching for some inner prompting. You just go to the very place where the Spirit has spoken and described where he's leading you and that's verse 22. Here it is. Do you see the start of verse 22? The fruit of the Spirit is... Paul's not saying here, Hey guys, just uh, do this stuff that I did and then you'll work out okay no he's not saying hey i read this once and maybe do this stuff and that's going to work for you no he says here is the fruit of the spirit here's the leading of the spirit here's what the spirit is doing inside you to reshape you and change you and this is the direction That the Spirit is leading you if you trust in Christ. So it's very important before we keep reading verse 22, you recognise this list is not here so that you might see, do this and be saved. This is not the pathway to being a Christian. Now this list is here so that when you are saved and you are united to Jesus by the Spirit, you know the direction he's taking you. But again... Before we look at the list, look again at verse 16, 18 and 25. And it's not just that the the Spirit is leading you here. That's not where the story ends. For the spirit fueled development of character is liberating. But it is not a call for us to sit back on our banana lounges and just chill out. Christians aren't called to sort of recognise, The Spirit's in me now, so I'll just chill and God will do the work. And I will be transformed into something else. Now how does Paul direct us in verse 16 and 18 and 25? He says we need to walk. He says we actually need to be led by the Spirit. He says we need to keep in step with the Spirit. So the one who walks by the Spirit is not walked by the Spirit, as though they're passive. No, they're like a child next to their mother, with their hand being held, making forward momentum in the direction they are going, uh, but they choose to follow that direction, the direction that the Spirit who loves us is leading. Uh, The one who is led does not choose the direction either, but must choose to move the way the Spirit calls. The Spirit is dragging you along. Will you actually be led by him and pursue these things? Uh, The one who keeps in step with the Spirit doesn't choose their own adventure, but like soldiers in a battalion, they fall into line and deliberately and consciously walk along the path the Spirit is laying down for them. It takes concentration and unfailing attention and listening and watching and staying alert. So here is the fruit of the Spirit that is being worked in you. Here is the direction he is leading you. Here are the steps he wants you to take. Here is the work of his power in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's, he's doing it gradually, but he's doing it inevitably. And the Spirit in you is there growing this fruit. Love and joy and peace. First of all, love for God and joy in God and peace with God, but that those characteristics might flow out of you to all of your relationships. A forbearance, kindness and goodness speak of the way we treat other people. They were given the ability to uh, show grace to others, to face trouble without blowing up, to be vulnerable in caring for others, to be a person of integrity and doing what is good all the time in word and deed, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They speak to the inner mindsets that drive us. They would drive us to being utterly reliable and truthful and humble. And not self-absorbed, but uh, being people who are not impulsive, but controlled. Now just look and stare at that list. That is beautiful, isn't it? That describes Jesus. But it also describes the work that the Spirit is doing in you. Just pause and wonder. This is what God is bringing about inside you. Can you imagine a person with all these fruit in abundance? Wouldn't they be delightfully compelling? Wouldn't they be beautiful? Wouldn't they be wonderfully Jesus-focused, Jesus-centric wouldn't they be the sort of person you'd want to have as a friend to be influenced by, to invite to a dumpling night? They'd be exactly that sort of person who you'd want to love and be loved by. And friends, that's exactly the sort of person that God is making you into by His Spirit. And I think that Is amazing. What a great work. And how thankful I am that God is bearing this fruit in me because without him I would not get close. Uh, But there is an active, passive, active thing going on here, right? Uh, No Christian is called to sit on their banana lounge and wait for change. No, rather in the rough and tumble of life, in the relationships that you are in, with the Spirit at work, with your eyes open and your mind turned on, you work at actually cultivating this fruit as you relate with others and as you walk and are led and keep in step with the Spirit. Now you can see we need each other. We need each other actually to be able to say to each other, hang on, that doesn't look fruity. Uh, Get back over here. This is where you need to be. Come and actually walk back over here. Be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Be led by the Spirit and be back over here actively living, actively choosing. Mind turned on to follow the leading and the power of the Spirit, exactly as described here in Galatians chapter 5. But secondly, we must also look at verse 24. And there's a second thing here. We need to be people who are actively crucifying the flesh. Not just pursuing the positive, but actually actively getting rid of the negative. Look at verse 24. It says there, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, this verse is not a call just to say no to sin, but to actively, ongoingly crucify the old nature that is within us. It's different to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul said we've been united in the crucifixion of Christ. Now, here is a call to action. Take your sin and nail it to the cross. This is something not done to us, but by us. We take our wayward selves and we crucify it. I suspect Paul's trying to capture here in graphic terms the real nature of repentance. It's about repudiating and putting off sin fully and finally and utterly and continually. So, just as the Romans were merciless to those people who hung on a cross, you need to be merciless with your sin. What does that look like? If you are doing things with your phone that are sinful, I challenge you to sell your phone and buy one that just makes phone calls. You can buy them. And Get rid of it. Be merciless. Crucify the sinful nature. Give it no avenue for exploring or leading you off track. Uh, Just as the Romans were decisive in ensuring the death of one they crucified, be decisive in ensuring the death of your sin. If you have a lying tongue, every time you're face to face with someone and you tell a lie, stop and pause and say to that person, I just lied to you and apologise and seek their forgiveness and don't do it again as the romans treated the crucified with contempt so treat your sin with contempt do not allow it to whisper sweet nothings in your ear silence them and ignore them completely uh, john stott wrote if besetting sins or if sins be, if besetting sins persistently plague us it is either that we've never truly repented or because having repented, we've not maintained our repentance. And friends, I've seen that and felt that in myself. And I tell you what I see all too often. I see Christians who don't acknowledge the danger of the battle. They don't acknowledge that we're in a battle. They don't then actively try to actually follow the leading of the Spirit. And they don't actively, therefore, put off the flesh, and pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Instead, they return to the scene of the execution and they drag their sin down off the cross and they're giving their sin CPR to get it back to life. Let's go. Let's gratify the flesh again. And they're taking it on. And they're like, yes, back to Pleasureville. Is that really how God wants you to live? Friends, we've got to learn learn to leave our sin on the cross. Don't negotiate with it. Don't reopen it. Don't reconsider it. Don't look back. Just kill it and move on. Just stop it and walk in freedom. Just destroy it and follow Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about radical action in regard to sin. And Paul is saying no more than that here. Set yourself a better vision. Set yourself a path to freedom. Set yourself to keep in step with the Spirit. March to his drum and allow yourself to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Well, let me finish with some words uh, of a friend of mine who's passed away. His name's John Chapman. He wrote a book, A Sinner's Guide to Holiness. And this is how he finishes the book. He said, From time to time I've met Christian people in whom the Christ-like character was well-developed. And I must say, they were very appealing people. I was so encouraged to know that what was happening in their lives... God had promised to do in mine. I'm to be patient and cooperate to the best of my ability with this process. If I dwell on the times when I fall and am disobedient, I tend to get discouraged. However, I'm to look to the Lord Jesus and to be encouraged by the promise that God, who never goes back on His word, has promised. To make me just like him. And to that, I say to God, thanks. Thanks. And amen.
2: What a banger. It's Q&A time. Hi, Nigel. Hey, Kang, how are you? Well, thanks. Excellent. Um, I'm going to give you all a moment to uh, collect your thoughts, um, go on your phones, whip up slido.com slash 645, uh, and ask a question if you have one. Um, But in the meantime, Nigel, uh, what's uh, a highlight of the Galatians series so far for you?
1: Yeah, uh, so many um, highlights, uh, which is a weird thing to say when you're the preacher. Uh, But anyway, the... um I actually want to go all the way back to chapter 1 and just be reminded uh, that there, there is one gospel by which we are saved. There isn't a myriad of different ways by which we are saved and therefore it really matters uh, what we believe. It matters uh, who we trust in. It matters how we walk. It matters what path to freedom we're choosing uh, because as Paul says from chapter 1 verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It's sort of so bizarre that grace has been shown to us through Jesus' death at the cross. And people go, yeah, nah, and choose something else. It's just astounding when God has, like, descended to earth and he has, in Christ, come into the world, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross for you and me and everyone else. And yet people go, yeah, nah. Uh, I I find it beautiful and astounding. And so, which actually helps me be realistic in the world, right? Helps me actually just do life in the world well because it says there are going to be people who see the beauty of Jesus and miss it. And what a relevant message that is.
2: Uh, We've got some fantastic questions coming in. Uh, Let's start with this one. To what extent are evil spiritual powers and rulers uh, involved with and responsible for uh, our battle against the flesh.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, it's interesting that Paul doesn't here speak about uh, what he does speak about in other parts of the Scriptures and even what Peter speaks about as he speaks about the devil prowling round like a lion seeking to um, devour. Uh, I think though the battle he's talking about is the battle that is going on inside you. And so it's actually your personal battle with sin day by day. Uh, you may be tempted by uh, other spiritual powers and things, as Jesus was tempted in the desert. Uh, it may well be that the devil, you know, tempts you in some way. Uh, and uh, we may get to talking a little bit about that next week in Galatians chapter six. But here, Paul's focusing on that internal daily battle of spirit and flesh. That's not to say that the other things are, you know, not. In his mind, he's got a, got a focus here about our day-to-day experience of struggling to stay in the freedom path and needing to follow the lead of the Spirit. Okay, yeah. So they're both
2: definitely uh, parts of it. Yeah, uh,
1: and I think we'll we'll get we'll get to that in Galatians chapter six uh, a little bit uh, yeah, next week. So great.
2: Um, we've got another question. Uh, Ooh, we've got a new top question. Okay, How do you know if you're being genuinely led by the Spirit or if it's just, as Liam has put it, brain training? People can fake bearing, uh, bearing the fruits of the Spirit.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, I think um, a lot of the Christian life is lived you being honest before God. And so uh, you'll know that you're following the leading of the Spirit if you are doing... As the scriptures instruct us uh, as the spirit leads us to the to be more and more like Jesus uh, here in the scriptures we have that picture of Jesus, and we are more and more becoming like the lord Jesus um, that there, there is something spiritual about that, but there 's nothing mystical about that it 's just the way that God works in us that we might be transformed more and more to be uh, like Christ um, uh, I'm not, I'll I'll chat to Liam after exactly what he meant by brain training there, but I think actually we need to retrain our brains in some sense to actually pursue the things of Christ uh, because our brains incline us to pursue all manner of different things and and we actually need to uh, pray that our minds would be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, uh, as Paul says uh, in Ephesians and 2 Corinthians 4. So... Yeah, that we actually uh, have the mind of Christ Jesus. And one of the, the great hymns uh, sort of uses that language. Uh, May the mind of Christ, my Saviour, be in me from day to day by his power and love controlling all I do and say. So we have our minds and lives and actions and thoughts and bodies and everything transformed to walk the fruit and path in the power of the Spirit.
2: Great. And uh, we'll end with a a nice practical question. Uh, How do we talk to brothers and sisters about uh, minor sins uh, many Christians seem to view as acceptable, uh, like swearing or driving over the speed limit?
1: Mm. Um, Get a child. Uh, That's very helpful. Particularly a child who's very close to getting their L's or on their L's. That's a very helpful way to learn how to drive more accurately and to be told when you're speeding. Uh, Not that my children ever did that. Uh, but um, uh, more seriously, um, I, I think uh, on any of these things, we, one of the themes that has, I think, come out in Galatians and come out uh, a bit in our uh, what we've God has been working in us through His word this year, uh, I think I feel like we've come back to it a few times, is we actually need each other, right? Christians are not an. No one here is an island. No one can actually do the Christian thing by themselves. We need each other. And so if you want to encourage others in godliness, then, then I would actually encourage you to get others to encourage you in godliness first. Uh, it's quite likely that you aren't perfect. If you are, you can preach next week. Let me know. Uh, that'd be great. Um, but, but why don't you start by actually building a culture where you are saying to other people and inviting them in to say, hey, look, I'm concerned for my godliness. I want to be actively following uh, walking in step with the spirit i want to be actively following the lead of the spirit uh, i i see it there in galatians 5 and so I, i'm going to invite you kang to speak into my life and to to start a culture of not sort of going up and rebuking each other savagely 24 7 but actually having brothers and sisters around you who, who you're wanting to invite in to say hey sh- show me the freedom path show me the the way the Spirit wants me to walk. Help me to keep in step with the Spirit. And as you invite others into that, you may well find that others invite you into that as well and you can work together on those things. Uh, there are all manner of things, I think, that we will find are sort of blind spots to us a- as a people and a church and a culture. A- and sometimes it's you know, worth reaching out to other friends Uh, perhaps christian friends at work from another part of sydney or from another culture in some way shape or form and saying to them hey i'd love for you to pray for me and speak into my life through the scriptures if there are things you are noticing because i want to be walking the freedom path and walking in the lead of the spirit and if there's things you notice that are in my blind spot i'd i'd love for you to point those out to me gently as i said last week curiously carefully uh, but but with honesty and um and, and if someone's not inviting you in and you can see things in someone else's life, then, then back to gentle, curious inquiry. Hey, Kang. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Nigel. How are yeah, you? I'm really well, actually. Is, uh, how's things with Rach? Yeah. Pretty good, thanks. Yeah, excellent. Great. Hey, um, uh, just you know, I was hanging out with you guys last weekend and, uh, and we had a really lovely time. It was excellent up very in your nice. little apartment in Asquith. It was fantastic. Um, and, but there was something that concerned me. Do you mind if I share something with you? I would love to hear. Yeah, thank you. Hey, look, um, I just noticed... And there you go. You sort of... <laughs> I haven't been to their house yet. It's all right. Uh, but um, but you've just gently walked into a conversation, right? You, you haven't gone up and go, Kang, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> you're a very lovely man. Um, but you're just being gentle with each other. Being curious. Uh, uh, inviting yourself in. And if you're invited in, then stepping in gently. And, and then challenging, humbly. Not parading yourself as though you've got it all together. None of us have it all together. But actually putting yourself forward as someone who has a deep concern for a brother or a sister that they might walk in the freedom that Christ has won for us.
2: And how exciting is it that we can... Uh, uh, to think that we could become so much more Christ-like through that. Uh, There are so many more questions uh, for us to go through, but we don't have time tonight. So uh, don't forget to uh, join the conversation with Nigel in the Sermon Extra on Facebook uh, in midweek. Tuesday
1: afternoon, half past four.
2: Perfect. Uh, Nigel, would you like to close up with some finishing thoughts?
1: Yeah, look, I, I actually want to share with you from John chapter 10. Do you want to open up John chapter 10 with me? Uh, John chapter 10 from verse 11. Um, I I just want to point us back back to Jesus and in the context of Galatians, uh, help us recognise that that Jesus is our ultimate shepherd. He's the one leading us. There are all sorts of other dangerous shepherds who will call out to you to lead you away from the path Jesus set. But this is what Jesus says, uh, John 10 from verse 11, I am the good shepherd... The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now Jesus cares deeply for you. Jesus wants you to live in step with the Spirit. He has given you his Spirit that you may keep in step with him and know the path he wants you to go. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus has laid down his life for you. He set a pathway for you. Friends, let's join together and follow that. And live the way the one who gave himself for us has called us to live along the path of freedom. He loves you. And he wants to see you more and more like him. Amen.